0: It Doesn't End Here is intended for mature audiences and may be disturbing to some. Please use discretion while listening. It's a rainy day in London. I'm sitting in my favorite coffee shop just off Piccadilly Circus. The buzz of the holidays is in the air and all of the Christmas lights are up in the city. This is my favorite time of year, but this time of year also makes me homesick. Not being with my family for the holidays has been a huge adjustment since moving to England, and it's never really gotten any easier. When I moved to London, I didn't think I would be here, thinking about my hometown of Oklahoma City. But over the past four years, I found myself explaining to people all over the world what Oklahoma is like what it's known for, and how friendly the people are. I find myself saying how Oklahoma is vast and diverse. It's a collection of amazing food, all types of music, sports, theaters, bars, and while, yes, it is the center of the Bible Belt, there's a lot more going on here than meets the eye. Five months ago, I met Laura. Laura is from Oklahoma City and is just a few years older than me. We both attended Putman City North High School, and we share a lot of the same friends and acquaintances. How we never met before is a complete mystery to me. One Saturday, my co-host Kayla and I jumped on a FaceTime so we could meet Laura and hear her story. Where are you at? Are you in Oklahoma?
1: I am, yes. Yeah, I don't know if I've heard any of your story, but I do know. You told me a little bit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued. I have no idea what you're about to say.
1: <laughs> a lot has happened. I really don't know, like, where to start. Like, When was the relationship?
0: What followed was audible gasps as we listened to Laura open her heart. And share the darkest parts of her life with two complete strangers. For days after hearing Laura's story, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It was shocking and devastating. It made me angry for a multitude of different reasons, and it shed light on what the current environment is for women in the state of Oklahoma. The hard truth my great state of Oklahoma is ranked number one in the United States for domestic violence. Statistics show that 49% of Oklahoma women and 41% of Oklahoma men experience domestic violence in their lifetime. This includes physical violence, rape, or stalking by an intimate partner. This percentage is the highest in the United States. Oklahoma also ranks third in the US for number of women killed by men in single victim, single offender homicides. According to a newly released crime report from the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, last year, there were over 27,000 abuse reports that included sex crimes, threats, assaults, and murder that were reported to Oklahoma law enforcement agencies. This is the highest number in at least 20 years. About 80% of the reported incidents were assault and battery, and 61 Oklahomans were murdered by their abuser last year. Since I met Laura in July 2021, I've been immersed in the story you're about to hear. This story is a love story, or at least it started that way. You'll soon hear how quickly things can change, and more importantly, how the past is currently affecting everything around you and your future. I wanna thank Laura for having the courage to share this traumatic time in her life. Laura hopes that everyone can take something away from her story whether that be you learn to trust your instincts, what red flags to look out for, or how to help those who you suspect are an abusive relationship. I do need to warn you, the next seven episodes may be hard to listen to at times, but if the latest 2020 statistics are true, then nearly half of all women in the state of Oklahoma have suffered from an abusive relationship at some point in their life. Laura's story will show you that Life can challenge you in ways you never thought it would, and it can make you question who you are and what your purpose is. But you have to remember one thing. This is just one chapter in your infinite story. I'm Rachel Metacroft, and you're listening to It Doesn't End Here. Hi, listeners, and welcome back for Season 2 of It Doesn't End Here. Thank you so much for listening and for all of the love and support we received from Season 1. I had no idea what to expect when I created It Doesn't End Here, and the response from our listeners has exceeded all of my expectations. So many of you have reached out and shared your own story, and it's been very eye-opening to see how much of a crisis domestic violence is around the world. I've worked very hard on the season you're about to hear, and I'm so excited to share Laura's story with you. This story is very close to my heart, and with the podcast having so much support from our listeners in Oklahoma, I want to use Laura's story to raise awareness of domestic violence and the issues that are in our state. The statistics that we just heard about the state of Oklahoma are beyond shocking, and it makes me want to dig deeper into why this is happening and what we can do to help women. Before I introduce you to Laura, I'd like to introduce you to Laura's younger sister, April, who you'll be hearing from a lot during this season.
2: I'm April. I am Laura's little sister. I am 18 months younger than her. What was it like growing up with Laura? She was very protective, not controlling, but very protective. She never wanted anything bad to happen to me. She never wanted me to go to parties, per se, with her because she ne- she felt like she had to be my mom In that point. We had this typical sister relationship. Um, you know, there was like little petty fights and stuff. But as we got older, um, because we are so close in age, we actually started to become friends. We actually ended up becoming each other's best friends, and still to this day, that's how we are. She's very bubbly, very social, very present all the time. I kind of feel like if anything's ever broken, she wants to put the pieces together, but Not necessarily as, like, your personality or, like, anything wrong, but, like, you know, if something's wrong, she wants to be able to fix it for you.
1: Hi, I'm Laura. I grew up in Oklahoma City. I currently live in Oklahoma City. I have moved around. I've lived in Texas. I lived in Talco, Oklahoma, a lot in Oklahoma. Currently, I have my master's degree in healthcare administration. My hobbies are sports. <laughs> I played softball for 21 years. I was a pitcher and an outfielder. I have two, two dogs, Roush and Memphis. Roush just turned eight two days ago. <laughs> Memphis is five, oh. so we go on lots of walks. I met Peter in 2010. My friend made a online profile for me while we were doing, uh, we were drinking wine and yoga. I had been out of a relationship for six months, eight months, something like that. And she was like, let's get you back in the dating world. And I had no idea about online dating. I didn't even know she made a profile for me. She was started talking to this guy for like as me, and I didn't know about it <laughs> for like a few days. She was like, Hey, um, this guy wants to talk to you. And I was like, what guy? What's What's going on here? (laughs) And so it was Peter. And we went on our first date. We hit it off then. It was really, we both enjoyed the conversation. It wasn't a boring, dull conversation. It was great. And it was constant. And it wasn't, there was never like an awkward moment. After that, we went on a second date. His brother was a soccer coach um, for a high school. We went to a very intense game. It was a rival game. I just remember on that second date, something happened on the field. The whole stadium like rushed the field. I was like, wow, he loves sports as much as I do because I would get, I mean, I could get crazy with some softball and football. (laughs) The second date led to him in the third date, and then we just kept going from there. He was, you know, a true gentleman at that point.
0: What were the main things about him that you were attracted to?
1: He was persistent. Oh my word, was he persistent? I liked his ambition, his drive. That's really what drew me to him. He was not, he was a guy that was nothing like someone I'd ever dated in the past. And, you know, he actually wanted me to be around his family. He wanted to talk to me. He wanted to be a part of my life, which was different. That was never the case in my past relationships. You know, I came out of a relationship feeling like I was unwanted and unvalued and six eight months when I met Peter I didn't know if I was ready and so with his persistence and ambition and drive and all the qualities that I loved about him really I was drawn to that because I'd never had somebody with me that was like that
0: I asked April if she approved of Peter and if they got along
2: I liked him. We had a special bond with each other. We immediately got along. We're kind of both like fiery people in a sense. I'm shy, but like once once I open up, I can be like a fiery person. I have a very fiery personality and a very dominant personality. And so like him and I just kind of meshed really well.
0: Laura and Peter dated for three years while Peter was finishing school. Once he graduated, they took a trip to celebrate.
1: August 2nd of 2012, he proposed to me in Galveston on the beach. The night he proposed for me was actually on his birthday. We all had a birthday celebration for him and his brother because they're identical twins. While I was getting ready, my sister went down to the beach and had made a heart out of red candles and wrote in the sand and put the ring in the middle and so we were walking, and I just kind of looked. I was like, "Oh, that's so cute! Look, someone got engaged right there!" And I kept walking, <laughs> and I was like, you know, down a little ways, and I turned around because I realized I was by myself. He was down on one knee, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> you know, and my sister and everyone was filming it, and he proposed. It was great. It was it was awesome, and there was people standing on the balcony on the the front they all cheered and were, you know, cheering and laughing and we were in heaven at that point.
0: Oh my gosh, that actually sounds beautiful.
1: It was. It was I loved it. It was amazing. We got engaged in August. Got married in March. So August of twenty twelve. Married March twenty third, twenty thirteen. Uh so a really kind of short engagement, but it was good enough for us. It was a big wedding. We only allotted for like $200, 250. I think there was way more than that. The day of the wedding I felt amazing. I wasn't I was nervous, but I wasn't nervous. I was ready to get it started. We were really excited and really happy that all of our friends and family were able to come and celebrate with us.
0: Laura and Peter loved being married. They bought their dream house in Oklahoma City, and they were settling into their new life nicely. It wasn't until a year into their marriage that Laura started to see red flags.
1: I would say really it started taking a big turning point, um, April of 2014. It's only a year after our marriage, but that was a time where we had some outside influence in our marriage. His mom was always thought she wanted to be a decision maker in our marriage. She wanted to have her two cents all the time. Peter most days would say, you know, my parents are right. He would really take their side a lot. And it really made me feel like I wasn't respected. I wasn't worth anything. Um, My opinion meant, meant nothing. It was his parents' way or nothing at that point. And so it it caused a lot of fights between us. It caused a lot of tension. There was like a big wedge at that point that was drawn in between us. When football season started, that's when really I started noticing a lot of changes in him. He started going out every week for Thursday night football. He wanted to go every Thursday out to the bar with his friends. He would come home from work. And take a shower, get ready, start putting on like a button up shirt with like, you know, nice jeans and some dress shoes. And I'm like, why do you have to go out looking like that? Like, why does it matter what you look like if you're just going out with your guy friends to watch football, eat some wings and drink a beer? You know, it doesn't, it didn't make sense to me in my mind. When that started happening, it was, I mean, almost the whole entire football season. And then he started going out more on the weekends and some Mondays he would go out as well and it was the same situation every every night and I would question him and he would get mad and he would start not yelling at me but like kind of raising his voice after so many weeks of that I was like is this what you're actually doing are you going out with these people or are you going out on a date that's when I really started questioning his faithfulness to he, you know, would always try and reassure me, no, I'm not cheating on you. No, I'm not going out with anybody else. I am going out with the guys. But it was never like he would never take pictures. He would never send me affirmations of what's actually going on. He started coming home at like three, four, five o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, the bar's Last call is at 1.30. They have to have everybody out at 2. Where have you been for the last two, three hours? When he was started coming home after 2 o'clock, you know, at 3, 4, five o'clock in the morning, I suspected then that he was cheating on me. I, I did not believe that he was out with his friends that late. I had a gut feeling. It was just like, deep down feelings that something's not right. It's not adding
0: up. April, did you know Laura and Peter were having issues in their marriage?
2: I did know uh, they were having issues with their marriage um, probably around the time that it started. I was actually living with them. I could hear the fights. I could see the fights. Everything she said, I saw. I was living with them. It was to the point where she wasn't getting the answers out of him and she actually started taking her frustration out on me and so I only lived with him for like three months and I said I can't handle this anymore and I moved out.
0: So did you think that he was cheating on her at that time when you were living there or what were you thinking that was going on?
2: I was very naive in a sense I guess because I was so young I guess young-minded not really young but I was like, well, maybe he really is working all these hours or, you know, or, you know, maybe he just needs a little bit of time to himself or, but he's a very social person. So looking back now, that doesn't make sense. Stay with us. We'll be
0: right back. Trauma is a catalyst. It provokes significant change in the lives of survivors as well as in the lives of their caregivers. Join me, Carrie Rickert, on my podcast, Transformational Trauma and Healing, as our guests share their stories of trauma and the resources that have been beneficial to them. We will celebrate our guests' successes and learn from their struggles, adding tools to our trauma survival toolbox along the way. As you can imagine, Laura didn't believe Peter, but she had no proof that he was cheating. She continued to ask him questions, but this only made things worse. Laura tried to tell herself that she was just paranoid and that everything was fine, but she had this voice in her head that was telling her that something was off. Laura tried to focus on the things that made her happy, and she was really looking forward to the OU Texas football game this football game would be one that she would never forget.
1: In 2016, we went to OU Texas. At the OU game, I got a text message before the game even started from my sister-in-law. Hey, we need to talk. And I was asking Peter, what is this message about? He was really reassuring me, like, don't worry about it. It's probably nothing. At 6.20 in the morning, I received a very long text message from my sister-in-law. It was a screenshotted email, an email she had received on Facebook from a guy who thought that Peter was Daniel. They're identical twins. This husband found her, and the husband sent her the message thinking that it was Dan playing an alias of Peter. There was a picture of Peter on there with Peter's phone number underneath the photo. At first, I was like, what is this crap she's sending me? Like, I just started reading it. And I was like, wow, this is really detail-oriented of what they want to do to each other. And I was kind of getting grossed out. I was like, this is kind of weird. I don't know why she's sending me this. And so I got down to like, it was like three or four pictures. I saw Peter's face and I was like, wait a minute what is going on I had to read it all again I was like with that face in mind of that picture the phone number and then I had to go back and reread it again because I was like this is this cannot be him like no way and I reread it as I was reading it I just started feeling like tears run down my cheeks I couldn't I couldn't even control it it was uncontrollable at that point I couldn't I couldn't even speak. I was in the bedroom by myself, and he came walking in, and Peter saw me crying. And he was like, oh no. I mean, just on his face, he knew what I was reading, he knew. He said, did you read that? And I said, yes. And I asked him, I said, is this true? Is this what you want to do to someone else? He was like, Laura, I'm so sorry, Laura, you know, I don't even know what to say. I told him I wanted nothing to do with him. I cried probably four hours straight, and he talked to me and told me details that I don't ever want to hear ever again of him, you know, actively having affairs. They were all random people off of Craigslist. He had sent hundreds of emails and only got, you know, a few back is what he had told me. There were at least five random people that I know of that he had went on dates with, that he had just randomly met up with in places that are weird. After I found out about all the affairs, he did sleep in the other room for quite a long time. I didn't know if I wanted a divorce at that point, if I wanted to stick with him, if I wanted to work it out. At that point, I had no feelings. I cried every day, all day.
0: Did he tell you why he had to do this and why he did it?
1: He never really came up with any reason as to why. He tried to blame it on me that I was I was constantly asking him about it. And so that's what led him to do it. Later on, things came out in therapy that he was insecure. That was basically what it boiled down to. He was insecure. Neither one of us wanted to do holidays separate. We hadn't told anybody what, go- what was going on yet. My sister knew. His brother knew, obviously, because of the email they found. We decided to stay together and work on it. I mean, from that point on, I went into like a numb, depressed mode. Like, I didn't have any expression. I wasn't like the happy-go-lucky lore that I usually was. I was physically there, but I was not mentally or emotionally there. And that happened for four years. I didn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. My, my The light at the end of the tunnel became smaller, darker with every passing day. We tried to go to a therapist. The first time I told her why we were there and what, that we wanted to work on our marriage, she immediately shut off to him. And she took my side 100%. And I was like, I don't understand what's going on. Like you're supposed to be a mediator. We went to her twice. And after that second time, when she was like bashing him in therapy, we were like, no, we're not going back there. And I made that decision because I wanted him to feel comfortable. I wanted me to feel comfortable and he did not feel comfortable with her at all. And so we tried going to Life Church and getting counseling through there. They set us up with two people. They were a husband and wife. They had both been through that before, you know, through an affair before and in separate marriages. And then they were together and not dealing with that then. We decided to connect with them. We went to dinner with them often, like once a week. We talked with them about everything that had been going on. They helped us. They, well, they tried to help us. I think we were too far gone at that point for them to actually, they weren't, they were more like mentors. They weren't counselors. And so our eight-week session with them came to an end. It was basically telling our story over and over and over again. Really, we just got talking. We got to know people. That's what we got out of it. He found a couple, Carrie and Sean, and they were great. They gave us a booklet to do, like workbooks, um, and we visited them every week in their home. We did the workbook at night, and then we had discussions once a week with them about, you know, changing our mindset, living different. They gave us a, a tool on their phone called Covenant Eyes. It was a tool to block anything that he could have potential access to cheat on me. So any website couldn't use Safari on the iPhone. He had to go through Covenant Eyes. So that way it sent a report every three days to me which was not the suggested, but we couldn't get anybody mail-wise to say, okay, I'll receive this report. I will be your accountability partner. I will make sure that you are not doing anything that, you know, I'll go through all these websites that you're looking at. Make sure you're not on Craigslist. Make sure you're not looking at porn, which he never looked at porn, but, you know, just anything that could be flagged. Not one man would stand up and be his accountability partner no one. No one in the church wanted to do it. No one in our um, group of friends. Nobody. We asked an outrageous amount of men to step up and be an accountability partner for him, and they wouldn't. We had a life group. We you know, hung out with them every week for however long. We decided to actually open up and tell the life group what had happened and what's going on in our marriage. We were there for two hours. We decided at the end, okay, let's go ahead and tell everybody you know, we're done with our discussion. Let's go ahead and tell, you know, that way they can be there for us. They shut us down. When we told them what what was going on, you know, we were crying, telling them, opening up, spilling our heart. The first thing that someone said to us was, one, why did you wait till now to tell us? And two, you should have told us at the beginning because we have a two hour time limit. We were shut down immediately, and no one wanted to talk. No one wanted to help. After him and I told them about what was going on with us, we stopped getting invited to things. They moved life group to a different location, different day, and they stopped telling us where it was.
0: After having two different sets of relationship mentors and being shunned from their life group, Laura's depression hit an all-time low. That's when the couple decided they needed a fresh start and to try and turn things around in their marriage.
1: September of 2018, we moved to Texas, Austin, Texas. I lost 30 pounds in three weeks because I couldn't eat. I couldn't keep anything down. I had like sunken in cheeks. I had black circles around my eyes. I was at the point where I was so unhappy. I, at that point, had no will to live. I had no will whatsoever. This was two years after finding out I was on a downward spiral and I couldn't get myself out of it. I couldn't bring myself out of it. No one could talk to me. I was literally just like a physical being, a skeleton, and that was all I was. I just, there was nothing to me at that point. After three weeks of being in Austin, he decided to bring us back to Oklahoma City. He was like, there's something wrong. We need to get you back. We need to get you healthy. We need to get you with some doctors. And so I ended up having to go through a bunch of different procedures. They did a colonoscopy. They did an endoscopy to see if I had like any tumors or anything like blocking. That's why I I couldn't keep anything down. They did a lot of blood work. They found out that I was severely iron deficient and anemic. And so they put me on iron pills, but I had to have so much and I couldn't eat that I had just kept throwing them up. I, I couldn't keep those down. And so the next step was um, infusion. So I had to go see an oncologist, hematologist, oncologist, and start doing infusions to get my iron levels back up. I was at a six... When I went and saw them, and they said, out of four, they put me in the hospital. For my age, childbearing years, they wanted above 100.
0: In May 2019, Laura had two rounds of blood transfusions. This worked for a while, but six months later, Laura was back in the hospital. She knew this would keep happening if something didn't change. She decided it was time to try something drastic to see where her and Peter really stood in their marriage
1: four years from 2016 to 2020 I mean I didn't tell him I loved him except maybe like twice. I did not feel like I loved him I did not and my therapist said if you don't if you don't want to tell him don't tell him you know make sure that you really want to tell him and that's really what you want. you know we shifted more from depression anxiety feelings to okay, do I want my marriage? to work, do I want to stay in it? Do I want to leave it? You know, and so for about a year I worked with her. I did, you know, homework. I asked him questions. A lot of the questions that I asked, he would shut down or he would get angry, and she would say, you know, watch his reaction, what are his what are his responses to the questions. And a lot of them were not good responses. His his actions didn't match his words. He got angry a lot. And at that point, he would put my therapist down a lot. He would say, She, you need to find another one. You need, it's not working out. And I'm like, It's working out great for me. (laughs) Sorry you don't like the questions, but you know, I'm trying to figure out if I want to stay in the marriage or if I want to leave. And so your answers are helping me make that decision. In July of 2020, we went to Florida. We went to Tampa, Florida. Um, It was our first vacation we had had in a while. We were both ready for it. We wanted to get away. It was a great trip. It was fun. It's something that we needed. It was something that we just could get away. I decided to tell him I loved him because I was like, you know, I kind of, I want to stay. I want, I don't want a divorce. I don't want to be a divorced person. And I really wanted it to work with him. I really did. Everything from the beginning started flooding back into my memory. You know, like his persistence that I talked about earlier and his drive and ambition. It was all something that attracted me to him, and it it still did. We were in the hotel room waiting on my sister to get ready. We were overlooking the bay, and it was really beautiful. I just looked at him, and I told him, I said, I love you. He looked at me and said, what are you doing? Don't do that. That's weird. Instead of telling his wife (laughs) that... I love you back. That was the response I got. That response right there told me he did not want to be with me.
0: Laura returned home from Florida, filed for divorce, and moved into her own apartment two weeks later. This is where our story begins, because this story is not about Peter.
1: This story is about a guy named Mason, who I quickly got into a relationship with after my divorce. Mason is Peter's foster brother.
0: That's next time on It Doesn't End Here. Thank you so much for listening to season two of It Doesn't End Here. For all resources used in this episode, please visit our website at com. Thank you to my friend JT for the music in this season. If you like It Doesn't End Here, subscribe now and share with two friends. By sharing this podcast, you may help someone who you didn't even know needed help.